Hello, 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 dear listeners. How are you doing? It's Jay here. You are on the She is Awesome podcast. And today I am interviewing someone completely nuts. I hope she's not gonna she's not gonna take it bad because for me, nuts, mad, crazy, that's all great stuff, right? So I am interviewing this lady called Olivia Marocco, and she is the founder of Brand New Magazine. Olivia launched Brand New Magazine a few years ago, and it is literally a mission statement in the publication arena because it is creative, contemporary, subscription-based, and it's 100% dedicated to women who belong to a growing community of ambitious business owners from startups to CEOs. See, I'm telling you, she's mad. And guess what? You know, when my guests are booking the slot to do this interview, I ask them a a question. I say, I know why I want you to, to be on my podcast, but why did you want it to come? And this is what she said. I believe we're on a similar mission. You help women build their businesses and I promote them in the media. A match made in heaven. Definitely. So this episode goes beyond PR, magazine, all that. I mean, the story of Olivia is so... Uh, how would I say it's like it's like mountains there are ups and downs and and what is really truly inspiring about her is her courage and bravery and decisiveness about what she wants and what she doesn't want and that is pearl it's amazing it's a gem so I'm gonna just kick it off because you are in it for a treat right? Buckle up and listen to Olivia. Welcome to the She Is Awesome podcast, the home for women business owners filled with extraordinary stories, giggles, and thoughtful conversations, offering inspiring takeaways for your life and your business. Hi, Olivia. I am so happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the She's Awesome. How are you doing today? Yeah. Hi, Jen. I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me today. I am so excited too. So without further ado, I'm just going to ask you my classic question. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you landed in the world of entrepreneurship. Well, hi. Hi, listeners. So I'm Olivia Marocco and I'm currently the founder and editor-in-chief of Brand New Magazine. But I've been an entrepreneur for 20-odd years, so I didn't just suddenly become one. I had, prior to starting Brand New Magazine, I was a photographer for 20 years. So I only had a few a few years in corporate life before I decided that that wasn't for me. I think I was about 30 when I started working for myself as a photographer and then built on, um, yeah, 18 careers, 18-year careers. So entrepreneurship has always been part of me really uh, amazing but okay okay so I, I i understand i will have to dig for 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 stories now so 30 is 30 wasn't the start of your career so you started in corporate but you know what i like is to hear a little bit more about like why did you step out of the classical corporate life what were you doing and then why did you choose photography how did that happen what was the big leap 
Okay, so I've never really followed a straight line <laughs> in anything. Um, so I, um, when I was younger, my dream was to become an architect. So I've always been very creative, very good with design as well. So my path through my childhood was to become an architect. Then when I reached about 16, 17, I realized that pure architecture was um, a little bit too academic for me. So I actually studied interior architecture. And so I did four years of that university in London. But then when I was at university, I was also a bit of a wild child. And I had a couple of experiences that, that allowed me to enter the world of events. I organized to be part of an enormous musical event in Paris. So that, yeah, gave me an inkling that I really liked the industry of events. Then I was stuck in my degree. So I finished my degree, passed um, and had my degree. Then I had an enormous urge to go and travel. So I went traveling for uh, just under two years, backpacking around the Southeast Asia. I mean, I was young, you know, you do that. And then when I came back to London, I was at a bit of a loss because I'd studied architecture and I was like, this is not where I want to go. I want to go to the events industry. At the time, photography was just uh, a hobby. I, I didn't mm-hmm. really know you could make that into a business or into a profession. So I wanted to somehow go into corporate and head towards the marketing department where I thought I could maybe create a path there that would lead me to organize events. So that's what I did. I got a few jobs in London, one for um, a startup in the casino industry where I climbed the ladder for a few years and ended up being a marketing executive for this startup. So there I got also a second sort of what do you call it, flash in my life, was the world of startup. And uh-huh. I thought that, that was very exciting. So I was involved. So this company were selling all sorts of equipment in the casino industry from you know, jackpot tables to blackjack and so on. So I had to be part and to help create this whole company from scratch, from finding the office to designing the interior of the office to working with PR agencies, design agency to create the whole um launch of this business so I learned very very quickly lots of skills sets there um, to be a a startup unfortunately two years down the line the company uh, closed its doors and we were made redundant that's kind of the risk that you take when you join a startup and at the time I was 30 I was living in London and as your readers can maybe possibly hear, I have a bit of a French accent. So <laughs> um, I'd been in the UK, I'm half English, half French, and I'd been in the UK 16 years at the time. And I, I felt an enormous need to go back to France. I don't know why, to maybe rekindle with my French life and my French self. So at 30, I decided to leave London and I decided to settle in Nice. And then another big sort of moment, which kind of changed the whole my whole direction, is I, through a contact that I know that worked in the events world, who was one of the biggest event managers for IBM, was holding an event in Monaco. And she had employed this local photographer who had to create this big team of photographers, but he couldn't speak very well English. So this person that I knew knew that I wanted to get into the events world, that I was a very passionate photographer, and obviously that I could speak English. So I got the job to work for this French photographer on this enormous event that lasted uh, almost under three weeks in Monaco and the idea was I was just going to help him manage his team he had multiple photographers being sent off to all the different events whatever um, activities happening in the uh, in, in this event so I was there just to manage the team and obviously 
coordinate with the, the client IBM. But then the first day on the job, uh, I kind of realized that he didn't really invest in enough photographers. So he gave me my first camera, digital camera, and said, off you go. <laughs> so I had to follow this group of people going up in the mountain. This was in March, April time. And Nice, you've got mountains right behind. So I had to follow this group of people going jet skiing in the mountains with a digital camera where I never used a digital camera in my life. And photographing in the snow is probably the worst thing, you know, the worst experience as a beginner because everything's white and it's horrible. So anyway, so I came back down from that mountain and I just had the biggest realization that this is exactly what I want to do. It was just like, I don't know, force of nature just said, this is it. I want to be a photographer. I want to work in the events world and I want to travel the world. And that was it. And so from so that's there, how you, went, you, you decided to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. That moment from that mountain. <laughs> Aha. So stars were aligned. But I have I had okay. There are so many things that I want to ask you. So my first question will be, I mean, I see like the a very uh, I don't want to say cutthroat, but very decisive lifestyle. Like, I don't like this, I'm gonna do this. Majority of people who spend four years studying architecture they would be more in the, oh, I'm going to go and, you know, suck it up and do whatever I need to do because I studied. Whereas you had this bravery of understanding what your soul was fed from and then go, okay, it's not feeding me anymore. I'm going to go to another thing. Can you go back into your childhood and give me, an like, can you actually spot any, role model or any kind of saying from the family that actually allowed that kind of freedom of spirit? Yeah, probably could. There's a, I've always been a free-spirited person. I've never followed convention that was a positive side and a negative mm-hmm. side when you're a child because you can go and you know spend your whole childhood being misunderstood because you're not um, following convention. So my father was an entrepreneur and, and, and he was an, an architect. So in fact, I wanted to be like my father. He was a bit my hero of my childhood. He was a very um, stubborn man. And I think I get the stubbornness from him, but not the stubbornness where I'm not flexible. Stubbornness that I, you know, I know what I want. And if I don't want something, I've always been like this. Completely the opposite of my brother, who is far more relaxed and chilled. I wanted to go and check out what was going on over there, what's happening over here. I needed to have eyes everywhere. So I've always, I think that's just part of my personality trait. Plus, I've never been scared of challenges, change, or going into the unknown. I've Mm -hmm. been scared of that. I have a I don't know why. <laughs> but do you do you think that I am a little bit like you? I've never been scared from unknown, but I know that behind that fearlessness, there was also a family culture which was fearless as well, right? In our family, it wasn't a very, you know, we do it by the rule. It was my parents were rule breakers. They've never ever punished me because I broke rules. It would be all about honesty instead of like breaking rules. So did you have this kind of like background where actually that courage was nurtured? Yes and no. So on one hand, if I look at my mom and my dad, for example, so my dad was the entrepreneur. My dad was the creative. My mom was a career woman working for IBM, bizarrely. 
So there was some conflict when I was younger. I had a dad that was bizarrely very strict. He couldn't quite understand Olivia and how she functioned. Yet I had a mum who was far more liberal, maybe more flexible, who allowed me to be the way I wanted to be. Then further down the line, in sort of teenage years, my parents divorced. So mm-hmm. That's when I moved to England with my mum, who's English. Mm-hmm. So from 14 onward, my dad wasn't part of my life. And I think had he stayed in my life, we prob- I probably would have clashed because mm. we were similar. <laughs> and he was very, very strict. Where So now I'm finding myself 14, 15, 16, all these very important developing years with a mum in the UK who I saw blossom in her career mm. um, to very, very high level. And I think she then became an extremely strong role model for me. A single mm-hmm. with two teenage kids in you know in a new country, and watching her, yes, have a forty-year career in IBM, moving up the ladder, being respected everywhere that she went, and just being so enormously clever and creative. I grew up watching that kind of woman, and I think she allowed me the right amount of space, the right amount of craziness, experimentation that I felt I needed at each stage of my life. So I never needed to rebel. I never needed to have any kind of conflict. She knew I was a creative, a bit of a wild child. She knew, she knows me and she's made me, that it's not good to put me in boxes or to put me behind closed doors, that I need that freedom of expression. And she just allowed me to explore that through doing art at college and then doing a, an architecture degree and all these all the crazy things that I've got involved with. <laughs> mm. Well, what a beautiful relationship and what a supportive mother. So that's amazing. I always ask to myself, it's like, is the courage comes from, does it come from a, a seed that is implanted in you and, and that allowed you to be courageous or does it come from rebellion? Probably a little bit of both, but thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. So now I want to go to another thing that you mentioned, which was that, party that you organized <laughs> i want to know about that party girl would you say that you were a party girl oh yes my whole 20s i was in london yes i was a very very party girl so i was very very much involved in this whole techno movement but for me it, was, yeah. it wasn't just about going partying it was i was really involved in the movement and what it meant to be part of that and so so i'm in my third year of university it's 1999 Mm. And, and through partying and clubbing and all that kind of stuff, I meet this French couple who lived in London and he was a sound engineer. So again, massively into this whole scene. He was a sound engineer and, and my boyfriend at the time was also a DJ. And they had then told me how in 1998, the previous year, the um, French uh, Minister of Culture had allowed for the first techno parade to happen in the streets of Paris. So it's a bit like the Berlin Parade. I don't know if you've heard yeah. the Techno Parade, which was like unbelievable back then that uh, Paris would allow this kind of event to happen. So I, my first reaction is, how the hell do I go? So it's basically a bunch of trucks parading the streets. How do I go and be on one of those trucks? That was ultimately my mission. I, was- I love it! <laughs> so we we researched into who had, what, what are the clubs that paraded that first parade? Couldn't really get contact. We didn't have really internet back then or any names. So I, I decided to create my own and I created my own. So at the time I was clubbing in this uh, club called um, uh, The Fridge in London. 
Mm-hmm. There was a specific night called Escape from Samsara, which I was addicted to, kind of psychedelic, <laughs> psychotrance and techno kind of music. So we were kind of regulars at that club and they were very, very good and one of the first really in London to be a very visual club as well, you know? Yeah. And I knew that for the truck I would need something very visual. So me, my boyfriend, and then this couple decided to create a like a non-for-profit association just so that we could uh, have something so more formal. And we'd agreed that we would organize, do all the organization, but ultimately I was a student that didn't have the money. So we asked the club, do they want to go to Paris? Do they want to parade in the second techno parade, you know, and be part of that movement? And so, of course, they, they would have to pay for it and it would, they would bring their DJs and stuff like that. So they said yes. So then first lesson in business is, okay, well, if you have no financial tie in the business, you know, you, you might get walked over. So what we did is for the year of that organization, us, as I think we would call Soundscape, we organized loads of parties in London for that year and all the money that we made from the tickets, the entries, we then put back into the project so that we could have a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. How old are you? Oh, God. So 1999, I'm 20, 24, 20, 24, I would say that was your first entrepreneurial... Yeah. You know, that was, that's amazing. Yeah. I love it, Olivia. That's That's a great story. And, you know, again, like that idea of... I, I see the same pattern. I'm going to be in that fucking party in Paris. I'm I'm going to be on one of the trucks. That's it. And I'm going to just find a way. You know, like the objective is there. I'm going to just find a way. Okay, fast forward to the mountain. So I want to get a little bit like into that mountain experience. Like, because what you say is like, okay, I, I went up to the mountain with my first camera. I mean, it could have turned out really, really bad, right? You could have actually hated it. So tell me that kind of like, what was the experience? How did you feel that connected that you decided this is what I want to do? Yeah, so I I never ever felt scared. I think it was more, I felt adrenaline (laughs) more than, oh my God, I can't do that. So the, the only thing that was a little bit worrying is how to manage the camera because i the photography I'd be doing before that was all the, I don't know how you say it in English, Argentine. Like, that, like, mono, like the not digital photography, normal yeah. photography camera. Yeah. What, what we had, what we used to have, rolls. Rolls, yes. So that's it. Yeah. So it was, it was always very, man, you know, my settings were manuals. And so all of a sudden I'm with the digital camera. So I remember the photographer, all he said to me is just go on automatic. You know, just put yourself on automatic and you'll be fine. So now how I felt, A, I felt extremely extremely privileged a to be able to move to nice which is a beautiful region of france and to have this opportunity all of a sudden to work in monaco in one of you know palaces and monaco and photography i felt on top of the world literally so i wasn't scared i was excited and i'm a quick fast learner like i've always been i can do anything i want i'm a fast learner so that day when he said you go up there i was like okay no problem so my adrenaline was up there. I probably sweated quite a lot. But I just thought, there's no way, if I'm on automatic, I'm going to um, mess up all these photos. They might not be very good, but I don't think it really mattered at that time because there was going to be so many other photos. And so I wasn't panicking. And, and when I came down from that mountain, I think I felt like everything just clicked into place. So 
I wanted to be in the events industry because I like this whole idea of organizing, working with a team on a common project, seeing the project mm -hmm. to realization, and then moving on to something else. So I mm -hmm. love that's why I want to be in that industry. And, and also to be able to experience and see things that I wouldn't be doing if I was you know, behind my drawing board as an architect. So I felt like everything kind of just aligned itself quite naturally. I That was my open door into the industry that I wanted. I'm a creative. I need a creative outlet. Plus, working in corporate, I knew that I was going to travel a lot. So my love of traveling and that freedom that I need, everything just aligned itself. It just kind of worked really well. So after the event, I spoke to that photographer. I said, okay, well, I'm now near me. I'm here in Nice. I need a job. I need to learn can you help me? And he said, yes. So he was working, obviously he was much older than me. So he was working already with quite a lot of event agencies in France. So he introduced me to the event agencies. They completely snapped me up really quickly because I was bilingual. I spoke French and English. I was a useful member of their events team. And then, so for about a year, and then through another contact, I got to work for an Italian agency and a London agency. So these three agencies for about seven, yeah, about seven, eight years, I just traveled the world. I went everywhere working on all their amazing events. But for the first year, I would follow him on every event and I'd be like, he'd be teaching me. I'd be, so I'd be half a photographer and half working as a member of the team, logistic team on, on the events. Mm -hmm. So a year, I got my Italian agency, my London agency, and I started to obviously be quite good at uh, photography itself it's just something that I could just do I can't explain it and also I understood the events world I understood what the client needed and what their client needed and mm. so I very very quickly got very very good so after a year I stopped working with this photographer and really went on my own and working with these other agencies like I said traveled the world and up until 2008 And then the first economic crash happened. So the corporate world just took a real big hit. Mm. That was the first time a bit like COVID where I saw my whole calendar of the year being like erased. And so a second big lesson of entrepreneurship is don't put all your eggs in one basket. And so that's pretty much, that was the biggest lesson. So uh, 2008, yes. My calendar got emptied. I had no job. I had no income for that year. So I had to bounce very, very quickly. So unfortunately as well, that year, my father passed away. Oh. So it was a weird bubble year, but I managed to obviously get a bit of money from my dad, which allowed me to invest in equipment. So I invested in studio lighting and I literally spent hours and hours and hours and hours training myself on Photoshop and all all the softwares that I needed on studio lighting. And I started photographing all my friends going, come on, come and do some photos with me. They were all having babies at the time, come with your baby and started to um, develop another side of my photos. But I knew I didn't want to go into studio work. Then I had an opportunity and I met a wedding uh, videographer who said, do you want to come and do your first wedding? I went and did my first wedding and then that opened up the doors for a 10-year career in wedding photography. Then eventually corporate came back as well. And then so by the end, I was doing both corporate and, and, and wedding. 
Fabulous. What a pivotal moment as well. This is like, this is a, this is a lessons in entrepreneurship, 20 years of entrepreneurship, pick your lesson. I I found the title and it's really interesting because I think the theme that I am seeing over and over is I'm not going to get down. You know, it's like, all right, this is not working. I'm going to do something else, but I'm not going to get down. And I guess probably the main kind of quality of an entrepreneur who goes for 20 years would be that, right? Would you say that? It's like, I'm not going to get down. Fuck you. You know, fuck life. Fuck whatever it is. Chance, whatever. No, I'm just going to get up and and find another way to do this. Right. So you've done a lot of years of photography and then you changed and now you're the owner of Brand You Magazine. So you're the founder and uh, editor-in-chief uh, of Brand You Magazine. So before you talk to us about Brand You Magazine, again, I, I'm really interested in how did you switch, pivot from photography where you were making a killing and, and then you passed to Brand You? Yeah, again, multiple reasons. I if you would have asked me five years ago, I'd be into publishing with my own magazine. I would have like, what? Call <laughs> yeah. what I had in line, but I'm going to try to keep it short. So four years before COVID happened, I moved back to England for personal reasons. And so for the four years after that, all the way up until COVID, I would fly back to France, do my photography season, and then come back to the UK. And I started dabbing into personal brand photography as well mm. just, and that would be many sort of UK based and I sort of and through that I started networking and networking with other female entrepreneurs and building my network that way and I think as I was photographing these women and also chatting and getting to know them I'm starting to hear lots of stories amazing stories about their own journeys as entrepreneurs and what they're doing and and so something started to take in me going oh this is really interesting all these stories in the meanwhile I'm like slowly reaching 50 and this was like the last few years. And so I was asking myself a lot of personal questions like, do I want to be a photographer in my 50s? Can I sustain this in my 50s and in my 60s? What if my health goes? What if, you know, and part of me knew that I naturally reached the end of that journey. But I had to be honest, no idea what to do next. And So the last two years before COVID were very, very difficult internally for me because I had no idea what else to do. When you've been something for 18 years, everybody said, loads of skills, Olivia, you could be employable everywhere. And it's like, well, actually, no, I'm, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. I'm good at this. But I haven't been in corporate for 18 years. There's no way I'm going to go back to corporate. So what the hell do I do with my life? So for a few years, yeah, just before COVID, there was a lot of internal questions and feeling quite lost, actually, for the first time in my life. Like, I don't know what mm. to do next. I knew photography was stopping. Uh, and it was like a blank canvas, like really a blank canvas. And then COVID happened. And that kind of prompted me to stop the photography. I probably would have carried on, maybe slowed down. and But it kind of prompted me. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that moment because I think I needed that abrupt stop to push me in another direction. I needed that kick even if I had no idea what the hell that was going to be. So from there, yeah, COVID happened. And at the time, I had sort of befriended this uh, woman who was a graphic designer and worked a lot in brand design. And in fact, it was just before COVID even came on the conversation, I asked her if she would be interested in joining forces, me as a brand photographer, her as a brand, and to create something 
together that we would um, help other entrepreneurs with anything to do with brands. So we created a free Facebook group called Brand You 2020. Mm. And with, for me, possibly the idea that that could develop into a business somehow. But at the time, it was just a Facebook group. I would do a chat show and invite guests and interview them. And she was going to manage more the Facebook group and, and do some talks and invite some experts and that sort of thing. And we did that. Then COVID happened. So all of a sudden, like you remember, everybody panicked. What the fuck? <laughs> How do I pivot? How do I do this? How do I rebrand? So the Facebook group uh, grew quite quickly. People interested in what we were offering. And so I was like, right, well, there's something there. I'm, I'm onto something. Straight away, I'm starting to see, well, how am I going to develop this? How can I turn this into a business? You know, I started building the website, business plan. I mean, I was fully on it. Except, so this is maybe six months in, the, the first year of COVID, I'm not married and I don't have kids and I didn't have a job. So I had all the time in the world and mm. a lot of headspace and a lot of will to rebuild something. Whereas my friend, you know, had a husband, three kids, five chickens, two dogs, and her own little business. <laughs> so unfortunately, and I get that, we didn't have the same availability and the same speed to maybe develop this. So we stopped Brandy 2020 and I was like, well, I, I don't want to do the Facebook page without her. And so we stopped and then I had a good old cry, which I don't really cry, but I did have a good old cry going, okay, back to the drawing board for a few months and then uh, rested and then and then I thought well actually I was onto something there with the whole concept of bringing experts helping and sharing and stuff like that so so I was like well I'm going to continue that concept but I need my creative medium my creating yeah. habit and that's where the uh, idea of a magazine came into my mind and I was like oh I like this magazine is design I love design so I did a bit of research on the market what's out there in magazine and I think the deciding moment really was when I went into quite a big WH Smith, I went into the magazine section, the business section, and I looked at what was available and I was like, okay, where am I represented anywhere in this media space? Right. Yeah. And I was like, nowhere. So don't get me wrong. There are some great business publications out there who either are very corporate or either for businesses like multi-million plus turnover very male-dominated, not very creative either, or it's either stars on the covers. And I was like, well, where am I, female entrepreneurs? And where are all these women entrepreneurs that I've been meeting who are building amazing businesses? Where the hell are they represented in the media? So knowing me, I just went, right, I'm on the mission, and I'm going to create that space. And that's literally what happened. So then I went back to my office, sat in front of my computer, and I was like, okay, right. So how the hell, where, where do I start? How do you design a magazine? How do, how do you write a magazine now? Okay, first word, brand new. Yeah, Google search, how to do a magazine. <laughs> Step one. And so what happened is then I knew I didn't have the time to learn a new software like InDesign, unfortunately. So I literally just went on Canva and I'm quite good with design. I just didn't have the time to learn something like a new software. So I went on to Canva, created my first magazine. So to be honest, at the time, it wasn't 100% just for female entrepreneurs. It was also with men. And I launched my first edition. It was free. It was online. And mainly using the people that I met in, through networking as contributors. Like, hey, I'm launching this. Do you want to write an article for me? And they were like, yeah. 
and that's how it started. And um, so the magazine was online for about six months. And then after six months, so and also giving me the time to, to you know, get my feel around what, you know, even in, in the look and feel, the design and the content and stuff. And about six months down the line, my designs are getting better. I feel it's a bit more mature. I started looking at the stats of who were interacting with my magazine and it was like 99.99% women. So I was like, right, well, that taught me something because I was personally struggling creating a magazine that would both speak to men and women because, you know, always thinking, is this going to be a little bit too feminine? Is this too masculine? Is this going to appeal? And so when I saw the stats and I was like, well, let's just make that a magazine for women, then I feel a bit more liberated as well to express myself a bit better and not always uh, be on the lookout to be politically correct in every way. So that was the first little shift. I made brand new, uh, yeah, dedicated it for female entrepreneurs. And then from there, I wanted to continue getting better with the content, but also the design to bring the magazine to a standard that I felt proud and ready to go to print. Mm. That I felt mm. was, it looked professional enough to go to print. And so I think maybe a year down the line, I launched the subscriptions the print subscriptions and and then off we went <laughs> i mean come on who dares that such a story like th- there's actually there are a lot of women and men who pivoted in 2020 with covid you know they they were doing something and they created another thing i mean there there were a lot of redundancy so a lot of people created but creating a magazine like a self-published magazine by someone who has never ever done it before that is that is crazy that is crazy and and how many editions do you have now so for the first year we were monthly now yeah by monthly so i think we're on our 29th edition now so 29 editions already yeah. okay and what was the highest moment Oh, there's been loads of high moments. Like it, it could be anything from the minute I launched a subscription, the paid subscription, and I got my first <laughs> my first uh, subscriber. That was cool because then you know that you're you know you're you've created something that people want to buy. But that was a cool moment. After that, there's lots of little wins. There's there's wins where I contact a specific person because I want them on my cover, and they say yes. Do you know well? Um, so that's a little win because I've wanted this particular person. I think the biggest win as well is also, and that's quite personal to me, but it's the satisfaction watching also the contributors, how happy they are every time they, and, and proud and share. And I think that makes me proud as well. It's like, okay, well, they are proud of showcasing the magazine. And that's a, yeah, that's a, a proud moment proud when readers come back saying I love your magazine or your magazine's really helped me you know the the return from the actual readers as well but there's been loads of really great moments and there's been loads of shitty horrible moments oh yeah because uh, there's probably more of them than there's good ones to be honest because it's it's um well it's new it's you didn't know and uh, you're actually achieving greatness there um who is the dream cover person for you Oh, the dream cover person. Oh god my god. I don't I don't think I have a specific person, Jen. I think there's a couple of women that I've got on my radar that I'd like to invite. I'm just not sure they'll say yes because uh, they're quite high up. So 
I'm waiting for the right time and I want to invite them and hopefully they'll say yes. I haven't had any refusal yet, only just one from one woman, which was quite sad because I was really after her. She's founder of this big beauty brand, but I had to go through so many levels of secretary and, you know, her mm. internal marketing team. And then you get over to the press team and when they get to a certain level, it's very difficult to reach them directly. And then they want to know lots of stats and they want to know whether it's going to be worth it for her. So Yeah, of course. And of course. So, you know, when you're starting out and you don't have the stats, then you get a refusal. So she was my first refusal. So now I'm like biting my time. I have, I, I'm not going to say who they are because they never come, but there's a couple of women that I think we can all look up to and inspire that have yeah. amazing businesses that I would love to invite them. I'm just biting my time and waiting for the right moment. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. That's, that, that, that's patience in a fiery character. That's, that's interesting. Is it, is it age or were you always patient? No, as a child, I was the most impatient person on the planet, <laughs> really. To be honest, patient has been taught. I've learned patience through entrepreneurship and, and mainly also maturity, of course, that helps, you know. Yeah. But having had my own business and being my own boss has taught me patience pays off. But don't wait too bloody long either. Like at some point, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But sometimes patience can really work for you. So this is one of those patients. It's going to happen. They're on my radar and they will come. But I need to be at the right time and the right space. Totally understand it. You've got to be ready for the, yeah. for the princess charming. <laughs> so for those who don't know Brand New Magazine, who are listening to us, most of my listeners are your readers, right? I mean, Uh, it could they could be and vice versa so tell us about in a way that pitch brand new magazine to us so that we know why do we need to subscribe why do we need to buy what are we going to get out of it okay well i think so brand new magazine really like we've talked about it is really aimed at female entrepreneurship so by reading the magazine what you're getting out of it you're getting to meet loads of wonderful female entrepreneurs that may not be on your social media radar. So first, mm-hmm. it's a great place to virtually network as well and get to know these women. You get to hear the stories of really inspirational women through our interviews. So the magazine has a three-men section. We talk a lot about brand. So anything about from brand design to brand photography to building a personal brand. We talk about business, and that could be on all sorts of topics from marketing to sales to PR to social media and so on and we also talk about lifestyle and my aim is to then invite lots of wonderful contributors to either come in and showcase their expertise and teach us something so the idea mm. we'll come away with some useful tips on how to do this and how to do that and tips and advice that we can implement in our business hopefully my readers and that's what they're saying they also come back feeling really inspired they also like to keep up with what's going on in the entrepreneur female entrepreneur world mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's you know which event is happening and who's launching what and what new book so it's also a great source of news yeah within the industry and yeah and if you want to contribute then we know the power of what PR can do for your business in building your status and elevate your your personal brand so being featured in a magazine like Brandy or any other business magazines is a great way to yeah to elevate your your business your yeah. personal brand so I think there's 
I have two kind of clients in mind with Brandu. I have my readers to think about. So I'm always thinking about what article can I bring that's going to bring them value, um, mm-hmm. that is going to inspire them, educate them in some way. And then I've got my contributors who, um, mm-hmm. how can I help them get that PR, to utilize that PR platform that I'm trying to create mm-hmm. to the best of the ability that they get something out of it. So I've got two, two hats. Yes, two hats and two mission. But I think Brand U is also being part of that movement. Um, there's one, I have one competitor maybe, but there is no other platform like this in the UK that you can get press, you can get co- media coverage, build your, your personal brand, elevate yourself, but also learn, be inspired and be part of that community. And I think that's quite unique. So I think you'll get something, whether you're a reader or contributor, you'll get something from from the it is very unique. And I think what I really like about it as well is that it's also quite editorial. It's also quite, you know, the, the lifestyle or, or the thought pieces. It's not just, you know, uh, a quick Googleable article that you can find. You know, it's not like that. There are some great thought pieces as well, which is, which is amazing. Fabulous, fabulous. So we're coming towards the end of our discussion. To our listeners, we will be putting a special code in the show notes that Olivia will pass to us a little present for you. Go and check the show notes and go and check Brand You Magazine online and you can subscribe and you can also buy editions. I'm also proud to say that Olivia gave me the spot to have a thought piece in there. Yep. So yeah, you can you can check it out. So it's a great magazine. To my knowledge, I'm not a big, you know, PR knowledgeable person, but to my knowledge, there aren't magazines out there who is giving that much space to women, either like voice or intention for women entrepreneurs. So it is really special what you're doing. Thank you very much for doing that. It's a great job. Keep doing it. I know it's fucking hard. I know it. I can I can only imagine and good on you that you have already put out there, you know, how many? 29, you said? 29? Yeah, 28. 29. 28, 29 editions. Bravo to you. So I have one last question, Olivia. The name of this podcast is She's Awesome. The reason why it's She's Awesome, because I always thought that we women suffer from shrinking syndrome, and I invite my guests to own their greatness and awesomeness and say why they're awesome. So, Olivia, tell us, why are you awesome? Why I'm awesome. I love this because it's you're right. We don't often uh, tell ourselves why we are awesome. I think my awesomeness comes from my passion. Like I am so passionate about this project, so passionate about the mission behind it that I think that's what makes me awesome because you need passion and you need drive to succeed in, in the creation of any business. Magazine is hard, but the, the, the business you're building is hard as well. It's big and it's going to grow and that's going to come with all its um, challenges and stuff. So I think having that true inner passion is what's going to get me to get up in the morning when all I want to do is hide under my, my duvet and, and cry, going, not today, I'm not in the mood. No, come on, get up and do it and just do one little thing today to move your business forward. So I think my ultimate passion is what I think makes me awesome in, in my business. Yes, you're awesome. And your business actually, your business shows it that there is passion and care and intention behind. It's not just 
whack together magazine. It's really intentional and thought through. So, well, thank you so much for being here, sharing with us all these stories. I mean, I think there's something, and I always think with my guests, what we can call this, but there's something around decisiveness and following your heart in this episode, because I don't know many people who are brave enough to follow their heart, despite the odds, despite the status quo, despite the, you know, oh, I've done this for four years. Why don't I give it a go? You know, all that. So bravo to you. Thank you very much for being here. You're very special and you are creating something very special as well. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. It's been a pleasure, a really pleasure. And uh, yeah, I hope your readers get something from it and get inspired. And But you're right. It's all about uh, not being scared, following your dreams. And even if you think your business, it's going to be a tough road ahead. That's what makes it all exciting, you know, and uh, just keep going. <laughs> exactly exactly thank you very much olivia thank you thank you well my friend thank you for listening to this she is awesome podcast if you want to share your extraordinary story and dare to inspire others send an email to hello at academyweed.com you can find the email address in the show notes well let's meet here again next week take care bye now